everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast here on Monday, August 17th. Thank you for kicking off your week with us. I am Michael Beller. Monday's show, joined by Brandon Funston and Jake Seeley. Guys, today a very exciting day. All 32 teams, whether they started late last week, over the weekend, no matter what, all 32 teams in the NFL are actually practicing. They've got the pads on. They're doing things. We're getting those training camp tweets that we usually complain about, but now are very happy to see. It really feels like for the first time, at least to me, like football for the 2020 season is really just around the corner. It's an exciting day. How you guys doing? Uh, I I uh, with you on the excitement of that. I think this is going to be what we all need to start making it feel like it's real football, right? It's uh, it's time to see guys running around in full pads hitting each other. Yeah, I'll be the curmudgeon. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like I just like I'm sure you agree, Brandon. But like, if you're changing your rankings right now, stop. Like we, we see these videos. Like it's just these we see these videos every single year. We see one pass. Like the best one I saw, and you'll really appreciate this, Beller. The best one I saw is somebody actually showed a picture or a gif of Trubisky throwing the ball and put Trubisky is back. Like, are you kidding me? He made <laughs> yes. one throw in practice and he's back. Oh, I, I'm also a little like I had a raging headache all night and nothing made it go away. So, you know, that you've ever done exercise and like your blood sugar gets super low and you feel like your head's floating. That's how I feel yeah. today. Like that's I, I'm, I'm completely off right now. I had a dream um, about waivers, football waivers, writing an article. Wow. So maybe that's what it is. The, it's the stress of the football season coming. <laughs> Oh man, Brandon, should we just start? By, by the way, I, I I'm sure Beller can confirm this, but you could you could show a clip of uh, Mitch Trubisky making one great throw every game, right? Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely, yeah. One. And then and then <laughs> the next the next six are going to sail over the receiver's head. But there's exactly. a good there's at least one good throw mixed into all 35 of his attempts every single game. <laughs> I can verify that for sure. Absolutely, I can't wait to exactly. see which one it is on week one. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Is it going to be an Allen Robinson touchdown? Is it going to be an Anthony Miller, like, 18-yard deep out? I can't wait to see. It's really exciting. It's one of the things I'm looking forward to most uh, here uh, at the start more, of the or is it Or is it going to be a beautifully sailed clipboard toss? <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was going to be a nice toss to Darnell Mooney on the sideline. <laughs> Oh, man, we'll have to wait and see there. I don't know about that. Maybe we'll talk about that one of these days coming up. Uh, Derek and I actually got into does it matter for fantasy purposes who the Bears quarterback is. We talked a little bit about that on today's episode of Fantasy Football in 15. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already and subscribe to that show. 15 minutes every single Monday through Friday right there for you talking the latest in fantasy football. That's a great show to be following now that the season really is here. Guys, for us today, I want to talk about tight ends. We talked about wide receivers on this show last Wednesday. Overvalued, undervalued. Let's do that same dance at the tight end position. We're going to look at both of those sides of the coin. Also, just a little bit of uh, of player prop talk, perhaps, and then some deep targets at the position as well. I'm going to start on the overvalued side of this discussion. I think it's harder to do this at tight end than it is at any position, but it's still a worthwhile exercise to go through. When we look at who is overvalued at this position, I think we're going to come back to not necessarily the same exact names, but guys in the same range of the draft as one another. You know, low-end ones at the position, guys who you're typically seeing coming off the board somewhere between maybe 6 and 12, 7 and 13, somewhere in that range at the position. None of us are going to be out here saying 
Travis Kelsey's overvalued. George Kittle's overvalued. Even if you're not necessarily attacking the tight end position as early as you have to to get guys like that, we're not going to sit here and say that those are overvalued players. We're really looking more at the back half of the starting class of tight ends. Jake, let's go to you first here. I'm not surprised to see this first name listed <laughs> next to your name. We all know your feelings about Jared Cook. I, you still have him overvalued, huh? Uh, if, if he's inside the tight end win range, he's always overvalued. If you <laughs> here's the problem is didn't change much last year. Touchdown dependent. The problem is if you draft Jared Cook, it's not only the investment cost that you have with Jared Cook, but it's also because you can't pick which games it's going to be by matchup because it's never by matchup. So what the choice that I'm giving you here is that if you draft him here, first of all, you need to put him out there every single week because why did you draft him as a tight end one if you're not going to? But then, like I just said, you're not going to be able to predict which are the good games, which are the bad games because they'll go off against the worst defense in the league and then, well, worst four tight ends facing, and then he'll go zeros against like Arizona. So Jared Cook, I'll never draft. I'll never play that game. It's just a headache. But if you do... Just put it – don't screw around. Don't even draft a second tight end because if you try to play mis, mis, mix and match, you're just going to miss some of his good games. Yeah, I think it also with, with Cook is it's not the, it's just not 2019 all over again because you got Emmanuel Sanders in there. Maybe you got a 100% healthy Alvin Kamara. You know, they like Adam Troutman and the guy they want to, you know, develop as their tight end of the future. So – I feel like there's a lot more headwind for him as well. Last year, it was basically Michael Thomas and Jared Cook, uh, you know, and a, a 85% Alvin Kamara. So um, I feel like the Saints got a lot more to, to think about in the passing game than Jared Cook this year. Not that he was even overly targeted last year, but, uh, you know, if he loses any of that volume and has any kind of TD regression, he could fall from being tied in six to being tied in 16 pretty easily. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised, actually, that he is where he is right now. Not at the tight end position, where we find him as the tight end 10. That makes sense to me, even though he's not necessarily my cup of tea. But overall, we're talking about a guy who has an ADP right around uh, the 80 range. So some other guys who you see go off the board right next to Jared Cook include Tyler Boyd, Matt Ryan, if you're into grabbing a quarterback at that stage of the draft, Marquise Brown, Julian Edelman, uh, Will Fuller. Uh, those are guys who I all want clearly, easily ahead of Jared Cook. It's not just the position that we're talking about here. It's also the rest of their draft day neighborhood. And I don't understand why Jared Cook is getting to live in that neighborhood. We like to have some fun with you, Jake, but I do think that you are right on the money when it comes to your diagnosis of the player that Jared Cook is. Another one of these guys who I think does a little bit more for his real life team Yes. than he does in the fantasy world. A very good real-life player. I would love to have him on the team I cheer for in real life, but fantasy with the swings of his production makes him a hard guy to lean on. Let's turn to another player here. I had a feeling someone was going to put Tyler Higby's name on the sheet for overvalued <laughs> tight ends. It's not a tight end discussion this season. If someone isn't out there making the Tyler Higby is overvalued dis- uh, argument and probably someone else making the Tyler Higby is appropriately or even undervalued argument. Brandon, you are going to be on the side here of Tyler Higby being overvalued. Yeah, it's a fork in the road for people who either like him or don't like him, and both roads are well paved at this point mm-hmm. in terms of the arguments that you can throw out there. And I'll just, you know, I'll reiterate, reiterate the greatest hits. Uh, you know, the first 12 weeks last year, Gerald Everett was tied in 14, and Tyler Higby was tied in 36, and then Everett gets hurt. You know, we saw what Higby did in five games. He went off. Um, but 
we're back to we're back to the starting line and Gerald Everett's healthy and Sean McVay is coming out and saying things like I think Tyler Higby did a phenomenal job but I think Ger- Gerald Everett's a guy that I've got to do a better job of utilizing his skill set because he's a difference maker which you know it doesn't sound like they're just gonna you know go on whole hog all in on Tyler Higby and I think that people that are drafting Tyler Higby as tight end six right now are completely ignoring the Gerald Everett factor. I don't have a problem if you put Tyler Higby as a, a tight end one in the back end of your of your tight end one class, or you know something at least a few a few spots below tight end six. But I, there's a lot of tight ends that I like this year. There's a lot of tight ends that I see uh, if Gerald Everett stays healthy are going to end up having a, a bigger target share than Tyler Higby. So I'm I'm not going to pay the you know I, I'm, I'm basically not going to pay the expected price on him. And I will, because it's on the flip side. So I'll give you the greatest hits from the other side. Is the fact that <laughs> yes. you know, I'll even get like the, everybody wants to talk. The one thing you didn't bring up, Brandon, and a lot of people uh, throw out is, is the who he faced in the last four games, and everybody's talking oh, okay. about weak, the weak defenses and stuff like that. I want to throw that one right out the window because it's like you know you do who you do what you need to against who you need to and all that. Stuff. And there was like you know if Travis Kelsey put up those four games, it's not like Travis Kelsey would have put up two hundred yards a game against those teams. Like mm-hmm. Tyler Higby put up over 100 yards in every single one of them good defense or bad defense I don't care he did what he needed to do so on the flip side of it I think part of it comes to some of the things I heard at the combine and I'm not saying that like sources or anything just rumblings and I'm not saying that they might even be 100% accurate they're not always 100% accurate but just some of like being disenfranchised with Gerald Everett of like what he's possibly going to be for the future the the McVeigh speak if I'm leaning that way is going to be you know, okay, we're going to keep him involved because he's not totally done for, but, you know, we got to find a way to get some value out of this guy left. But the biggest thing is, like, they did a lot more 12, and that's not going to be their base set, but, you know, a lot more 12 means they can both be out there. And, you know, similar to other 12 sets we see out there, I think that Higby is the better player. Um, I know Everett's a freak of nature. He's kind of in that realm, but I still like Higby. Uh, even to go back to my reports coming out of college, I like Higby better as a tight end for the NFL. Now, what I will say, when all that's being said and done, and maybe, Ballard, you were going to come in and be the voice of reason, I was going to say, even if you're on Brandon's side, even if you're on my side, even if, like, whatever, I think it might just be smart just to play it down the middle, and it's where you don't know what McVay's going to do. Like, if he runs 12 and he uses Higby as the lead guy, Higby's going to be probably top five. If it's one tight end and Higby's the top guy, say that if he reverses and goes back to Everett, it's going to be a massive overpay, and Everett's going to be a borderline tight end one. It's just... We don't know what he's doing into this season. It's that's be, makes McVeigh a genius. That's what makes him so good on offense. Is you don't know what he's going to do. So I think that I don't have a problem with six, Brandon, because six usually still means he's like in the seventh round. So that's why I don't care that much about the six relative to more of where he's going overall in the draft. I was trying to have that whole conversation without bringing up Cooper Cup as well, so we didn't have to go down that rabbit hole again. <laughs> but you know where I stand on 12 personnel being a, a heavy thing that the Rams will do in 2020, but you're right. We don't know. And McVay's changed things up, you know, each year. Each year it's, uh, you know, there's a different wrinkle to things and it goes different directions. So we'll, we'll have to wait and I mean, see hell, on that. I mean, hell, he could lead off – he could start the season with Higby like in one tight end sets and then all of a sudden switch halfway through and then go back and then – He's nothing at the end of the year. Just, I mean, that's McVay's going to do what is most valuable for the team any given week. 
I get into trouble with Higby at the same point that I do with Jared Cook where it comes to the other players coming off the board where he's coming off the board. A.J. Green, Cam Akers, who I don't necessarily love, but I obviously see the argument for. Uh, Michael Gallup, Kareem Hunt, Jarvis Landry. Again, it gets to a point where these are guys who I want on my team more and I am comfortable attacking deeper tight ends that we'll talk about in a second. Someone else who I want to throw into this discussion who I just will not have on any of my teams this season. I already haven't had him, and I can promise you my draft's coming up, auction's coming up. I won't have him. Maybe auction if he goes super cheap, but Evan Ingram is just someone who I have close to zero interest in this season, and it is for these two main reasons. Number one, an extremely high-volume back in uh, Saquon Barkley. Saquon's going to get his 350 touches, whatever it might be. I don't want to mess around with that. Number two, we keep talking about this Giants wide receiver group, and is it Darius Slate the number one? Is Sterling Shepard the number one? Is Golden Tate the number one? I don't know if we can come up with a good answer to that question before the season, but what I do know is that I think all three of them are liable to get more targets than Evan Ingram. It just concerns me that he is dealing with three obvious guys to compete with at wide receiver, guys who aren't going anywhere, right? As long as they're healthy, they're going to be major players in this offense, plus a high-volume back in Saquon Barkley, who is the guy in the offense. You put that together, you give, you add Evan Ingram's injury history into it, and he becomes a guy who I really want no part of, especially since you're not really getting any discount. You're getting a little bit of a discount compared with last year, but he earned that discount, right? I mean, he earned that uh, step back in draft status. So you're not getting anything on top of that. It just becomes a cocktail that I really don't want to drink at all. I, I was going to say, I'm impressed you didn't go with the low-hanging fruit of the 13 DMPs over the last two years as your as your go-to argument that you went with, uh, you know, the other people, the other mouths to feed in that offense. And it's true. There's three receivers uh, that you mentioned. I was going to say there's also probably three soft tissue injuries that he's mm-hmm. kind of sort of nursing at the moment as well. So uh, I'm kind of with you on that. He's the guy that I just love to think about in theory of a 16-game season, but I'm not going to be the one who hopes for that with him on my roster most of the time given his ADP price. Well, I think you have to hope for that and somebody to get hurt, though, because even mm-hmm. if you look at his amazing season, that was with no, no Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard banged up and then no Sterling Shepard where he essentially became the number one wide receiver and I put that in quotes for that team that year. So, yeah, he's an amazing like wide receiver. Or I almost said well, he's an amazing tight end. Yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, and, but if he was on a different team or if they didn't even bring in Golden Tate last year in free yep. agency and it was just those four, I would feel a lot better about it and still think he has top five. And, you know, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard aren't any pictures of health. But, you know, at the same time, I, like I, it's funny. I have him eighth in the projections. And I feel like that's okay, uh, but I haven't ended up with him on a single one of my team because I'm just – I'd rather wait. Like I feel like when we start talking about the undervalued ones, there's just so many values right now at tight end. All right, we're going to hit one more undervalued and then transition with a guy who we have a little bit of a difference of opinion on. Just like I said, we can't have a tight end show and not talk about Tyler Higby in 2020. We can't have a tight end show and not talk about Rob Gronkowski. Brandon, you've got him listed as an overvalued tight end. I'm actually a little surprised that he's not higher valued with where he is going. Right now, we're looking at Rob Gronkowski as the tight end nine off the board. By ADP, he's in this same range of Ingram, Jared Cook. They're all basically getting drafted at the same spot. If you're ending up picking one of those guys, it's coming down to personal preference. Why is your personal preference not leading you to Rob Gronkowski, Brandon? 
Well, it scares me that like I, I could see him getting to tight end nine um, because you know once you get outside the top six tight ends, there's like this vast cliff. If you look yeah. at last year, you know you had Jared Cook at eight point nine half or standard points per game. Sorry, I'm looking at standard here. Um, but there was a big jump. There was kind of a big jump, and then there was this big malaise of guys in that back end of the top 12 and then even into the teens in terms of overall value. And all it takes is, like, for Gronk to get, like, a 150-yard game with two touchdowns, and that could just push his overall value up to that spot. But I think from a week-in and week-out basis, I'm leery. It's, it's partly to do with – the mouse to feed thing that like you just talked about with Evan Ingram. Um, and I don't think it's been a long time since Gronk's been an offense that's had that much talent around him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also in a Bruce Arians offense. There's never been a, a top 24 tight end for Bruce Arians. He's the no risk it, no biscuit guy. And I just don't buy a whole bunch of 12 personnel and try to change things up so much because Rob Gronkowski, who you know took a year off and is 31 years old now and, and has an injury history, um, is is back and feeling good right now. You know, that could go away pretty quickly for a guy with his history and his age. And by the way, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are in their prime. Pretty good guys. Yeah. So I'm just leery on like a week in and week out basis that he's going to be a guy that you're going to want to lean on in your in, as your starting tight end every week. I think there could be some weeks where he's, you know, he's got limited snaps and there could be some weeks where OJ Howard's, you know, they're, they're playing him more, and there's going to be some weeks where he does go off. But I don't – you know, it's kind of sort of – I think you could see a Jared Cook kind of situation where you're going to have to predict those games, and that's going to be kind of tough for you. No, I was actually – I was going about to say Jared Cook is a good example of him. Is that If you draft him, you just plug him out there every single week, so you always get the good, and there'll be some down weeks. But, I mean, we're talking about low-end tight end one. I don't have a problem as much as you do, Brandon, mostly because – I think the layoff helped him. I think trying to continually play through like 18 bajillion injuries towards the mm-hmm. end, like, I mean, he's just a monster to even play through what he was playing. And now you're 100% right. You know, they could have taken their toll. He might not be anything what he even used to be. But I take 90, if you told me today, 90% Gronkowski with Tom Brady, even with those two wide receivers, I would just say, yeah, I would take him inside the top 10. But obviously, that's the questions. And I think that. I mean, I don't want to put words in your guys' mouths, but I think this whole overrated group is kind of telling us, like, hey, just stay away from this group and just wait in the draft. Yeah. Yes. What do you guys think about uh, Tampa's offensive style? There's been some go around whether it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, continue to be the Bruce Arians, you know, vertical show, or if they're going to conform this offense more to what Tom Brady's done over his, you know, over his time in New England. I think it's too, I don't think you bring in Tom Brady unless you're willing to adapt a little bit. I mean, you mm-hmm. can and just they at least have the entire offseason to do so. Like it wasn't like Lamar Jackson with Baltimore where they flipped the script in the middle of the season and weren't able to adjust too much. I, I mean, I know Bruce Arians has got like years of proof, but at the same time, I don't think you just bring in Tom Brady and be like, nope, you're gonna have to do this. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think they're going to tailor some things to what Brady does. It'll be a, a hybrid, right? It'll be some of what Bruce Arians still wants to do and what he's always done over his career and some of what fits Brady's strengths, especially at his, what, 43, his age 43 season, obviously not able to do all the things that Bruce Arians is going to want him to do. And I definitely agree with you, Jake. What we are really getting at here with the names we've talked about, Cook, Ingram, Gronk, maybe a little bit of Tyler Higby. This is a group of tight ends that I find myself avoiding. I'm either going to go big or I'm going to wait. Some of those guys that we are going to want to wait on, we are going to talk about in a second. It is all about nailing the timing, I think, at the tight end position. And right now is a great time to nail the timing 
On refinancing your student loan and getting those payments under control, you could be saving by refinancing your student loans with Earnest. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you can reduce your payment and save by refinancing with Earnest. Even if you've already done this, with today's low rate environment, most people could save by refinancing again. Checking your new rate is fast and easy. All you got to do, answer a couple of questions. You'll get a personalized rate estimate and it won't affect your credit score. There are no origination fees, no any other fees. And everyone on the internet, yes, everyone, me, Jake, Brandon, I bet you guys love them. You're on the internet. Everyone loves Ernest. They got a 9.4 out of 10 rating on Trustpilot. Right now, you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Ernest at earnest.com slash throwback. Once again, $100 cash bonus when you refi at Ernest. Go to earnest.com slash throwback. Not available in all states. Here's the fun part. Visit earnest.com slash throwback for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations LLC and MLS number 1204917. My dog is excited. He wants to refinance too, although I don't remember sending him to school at any point. California financing law, license number 6054788, 303nd Street, Suite 401N, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licensed states. All right, guys, nailing the timing at this position. It is very important, and that is where we find our group of undervalued players. I'm looking at the list of names that we all threw out here. We got a lot of uh, a crossover, but one guy who we actually had a, a little bit of a difference of opinion on. I had him listed as someone who I think is a little bit overvalued. Jake, you think he is undervalued. Tell me why I'm an idiot when it comes to Austin Hooper. I think Austin Hooper is getting way too much hate. Let, let me ask you the question here for everybody out there. What was Austin Hooper when he was playing for the Falcons? The number three option. What is he going to be mm-hmm. when he's playing for the Cleveland Browns? The number three option. Like they have zero co- like Rashad In the Higgins. passing game. Yeah, that's the point. And that and like look, it's a similar offense to what we expect the Browns to be now that you know Stefanski's in there and Freddie Kitchens is off coaching tight ends. He killed that offense. <laughs> Let's go back to the excitement we had for the Browns last year with Baker Mayfield yeah. inside the top five, which we just talked about on the last show. Talked about Odell Beckham. People wanted to take him as the number one wide receiver off the board. Like all Austin Hooper needs to do is have his targets that he saw last year over sixteen games, not even the thirteen games he played. And he's going to be pushing the top five again. I don't I, like. I understand not wanting to put him there inside the top five. I don't have him inside the top five. I've never put him inside the top five. But he's going eleventh right now. And the big thing about it for me is it's not just eleventh. He's going an extra round after Gronk and Jared Cook. He's down at ninety-two overall, which you know puts him down further, like middle of the draft. That's why I don't think he's overdrafted. Like if he jumped up to Higby at seven. I'd be with you. If he was around Hunter Henry, Terry, Tyler Higby, I'd 100% agree with you. But for the fact that Hooper is barely a tight end one, it seems like everybody's kind of gone too reactionary and say, oh, it's not going to be as good as it was with the Atlanta Falcons and have pushed him outside the realm where he was the number one tight end in all of football before he got hurt. I, I, I worry about the targets. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I still do worry about it when you're talking about Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and yes, there's a fair parallel with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, where we've already seen him produce alongside two receivers like that. Uh, I think you have uh, maybe the best running game that he's ever been a part of. We know what Nick Chubb's going to do. Kareem Hunt is going to have a large role in this offense. And while the Browns were aggressive in adding Austin Hooper, no doubt about that. They wanted him. They went after him. They got him. They paid him. David Njoku's still there. 
and they still did exercise that fifth-year option to keep Njoku around. I don't think he's going to, when I say he, Njoku, I don't think Njoku is going to be the tight end one. I still expect Austin Hooper to be the main guy, but it's not like Njoku's just going to be nothing. It's not like he's not going to play at all. He's going to take away a number of targets, a non-zero, semi-meaningful number of targets. Is it going to be enough to make Njoku fantasy relevant? I don't think so, but those two and a half targets per game that go to Njoku instead of Hooper are going to get very annoying very early in the season. I would take the under on the two and a half. I think if you go back <laughs> to two years, no, seriously, like if you go back to two years ago and Joku had 90 or I think almost 90 with Baker Mayfield two years ago mm-hmm. uh, and, and the rest of the tight ends, I think had like 30 something. I think that's what we should expect for this year, which that's actually almost two per game. If you put it at that, again, now you give him 90. If you give him 90 targets, he had 97 last year in 13 games, and that's that's really where I'm going with it. Well, I think the targets is interesting because if you look at Atlanta last year, you know they were about 100 targets more than Cleveland. And then if you look at Minnesota, Kevin Stefanski's offense, that was about 100 targets less than, uh, than, than Cleveland. So, you know, you could see there being a, a massive, uh, you know, volume – drop for for Hooper going from Atlanta to Cleveland. We also haven't thrown out the fact that Kareem Hunt could get 90 targets as mm-hmm. well. He had he had 44 and half a season last year and I you know they're talking about using him in the slot and you you know so yeah, I I don't really have a problem with Hooper though as a very back end tight end one. I think that's when initially we were seeing him inside the top ten that I had issues with it. So I you know as a back end tight end one with some touchdown upside, I don't have a problem. Again, you're talking about a big malaise of of similarly scoring tight ends when you get outside the top six or seven overall. Which is another reason why we like this group of guys because I think we could see any of these guys get drafted as tight end 12 to tight end 16 and end up inside that top 10 group. Brandon, you have two guys listed here that you want to talk about. I like both these guys too. I threw them into the sheet as well. There, are Jonu Smith and Dallas Goddard. Um, I really like both these guys. I'm just going to leave it to you, Brandon. Just pick one of them and run with it. Why you think that this person is undervalued and why you are targeting them in your drafts. Yeah, it's Jonu. I love just, you know, athletic freak uh, is going to get the, the chance to be the guy from the from the outset this year. Um, and you look at the advanced analytics on him and very good second among tight ends in yards after the catch uh, per reception, uh, seventh in yards per route run. He had 80 percent catch rate, which was fifth among tight, tight ends with 40 or more targets. And now you get, you know, a full season without Delaney Walker, a full season with Ryan Tannehill. And with Tannehill last season, he was tied in 14. And that's already better than where he's being drafted right now. And if you assume, you know, just even a slight bump for, you know, just kind of a, a season of experience and just kind of, you know, the talk about him within the team is that he's a special player that they're going to try to figure out ways to utilize if you buy into that, you know, at all, then, you know, you can easily imagine him being a top 12 tight end and you're getting him at what tight end 16 right now. on on average, I love the value on Johnu. Mm, I cannot imagine it at all. <laughs> and here's why. Look, I, I wow. agree with, I'll agree off the top. I love Johnu as a talent. I love his ability. I thought he'd be a huge matchup problem in the NFL. My problem is it's the Ryan Tannehill offense. It's the Derrick Henry offense. This is not a pass happy offense. Even after Delaney Walker, Targets per game, 7-5-6-0-2-4-5-4-0. That, and those, that zero for the last one was still with like playoffs. It was the Houston game, 35-14. to 14. 
that's what I can't I can't do it. I just don't see where the volume is going to be anywhere where he's not even a poor man's Jared Cook at this point. Like it's touchdown or bust almost with him, and he has the ability to do it. But I mean, you can even talk about seven targets in that game is seventy eight yards, eighteen thirty zero zero. He went two for two with zero yards against the Colts, twenty nine sixty <laughs> sixty three and zero. I don't dislike Janu. I dislike the team, and then especially in the playoffs, we saw Tennessee win games in the playoffs with Ryan Tannehill throwing. 10 passes. He had two, three, and four, one, two, and three receptions, nine, 12, and 38. I love the player. I hate the situation. I, you don't you think know, there's any redrawing of the offense uh, going no. into this season? You think they're just no, going to run it back you? exactly? Yeah, why I would mean, you change I, it? Like, they almost made the Super Bowl with that team. All right, but then so is A.J. Brown still just going to get less than 100 targets this season? No, so what if A.J. Brown gets more? Where is Jonu's share coming from? Unless Jonu is the number two. Wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Who? I mean, we're still on the Corey Davis bandwagon. I mean, there's going to probably be 450 pass attempts. There was 446 last year. Let's just say there's 450 and 125 go to A.J. Brown. That You know, that's what? I got to do the math. 325 targets up for grabs? You don't think Jonu can grab 80 of those? Nope. I'll do the the bet. I'll do the bet right now. <laughs> okay, if Johnny plays sixteen, oh, let's just say if Johnny plays fourteen games or more, I'll give him eighty targets. He just did. I know. I'm, so I'm you're just, taking, but you're, you're taking un, under seventy nine and a half targets for Johnny Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that yeah didn't sound very confident. No, I just yeah yes absolutely. <laughs> he had I just, he had forty four last year and played the majority of the season without Delaney Walker. Yeah, but yeah, we also but, half the season with Marcus Mariota. I don't care who. And then Tyron Tannehill was worse. He had ten. He had eight attempts in one game. Like really? Like absolutely. Adam Humphreys didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I, I mean know. that's true. Adam Humphreys didn't go anywhere. That is true. Derrick Henry's still guys, there, right? Derrick Henry is still a Tennessee Titan. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> All right, we're gonna have, we, we got to figure out yeah. some sort of bet here. You guys got to have. I mean, I want in on this too. We got to have some sort of stakes. <laughs> We can't. We we only have so much time to actually talk and have this show, and we can't sit here and figure out the stakes exactly. But we're going to figure this out backstage. One of the reasons why I like these guys, Johnny Smith and Dallas Goddard, is the draft day neighborhood that they live in. Other guys in their range: McCole Hardman, Jalen Rager, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Tony Pollard. Those are the guys we're talking about here: Elshon Jeffrey, Sammy Watkins. I mean, all day, every day. Give me. Janu Smith, and let me scroll back up to that earlier tight end group we were talking about. Um, Debo Samuel. Give me those two guys. Give me Janu Smith and Jarvis Landry over Evan Ingram and Sammy Watkins. I mean, I'm making that move 10 times out of 10. That's what I love so much about this range of tight ends. And that's, I mean, that's a really good way to put it and look at it too, but I'll even take it one step further when we get to mine. So, <laughs> Well, let's take it to yours. Take it to yours. Take it away. We know who it is. Take it away. Let's roll well, with it. Well, there's three. It's Triple H. That's why I even got to do this at tight end. And that wasn't even intentional. <laughs> it's just Hooper, Hurst, and Hawkinson. Give me all the H's. Uh, Hurst and Hawkinson, there's no question in my mind. Like, Hurst, we just talked about Hooper. Who's stepping into his role? Hayden Hurst. Mm-hmm. Like, Hayden Hurst is walking into 90 targets, at least, over 16 games. The biggest problem with Hayden Hurst is, is I even wrote about it in like guys that I have a lot of so far. The biggest problem is because what I joked and a lot of people did about what the Ravens did that year is they took the better tight end 
in the third round when they drafted Hayden right, Hurst in the right. first. But there was a reason they drafted Hayden Hurst despite being 37 years old. It's because he's a great all-around <laughs> tight end. He's not going to come off the field for blocking. He's going to be out there stepping into an amazing role. And then Hawkinson, I already threw this. Um, we did a show before we kind of you know, directed what we're doing here now, so I'll just give you guys, because I said the same thing to like Chris and Brad at the time, is Hawkinson, if you want to go – the Athletic just watched the film. We know that. We know why he was drafted in the first round. Actually, much like Hayden Hurst. And he was a better blocker than Noah Fant, and that's why the Lions took him over Noah Fant, despite Noah Fant being a slightly better receiving tight end. Um, so that's why. You got the complete tight end with him. You remember everybody going bonkers week one. If you want to take the analytical route, and this is why I threw it in the article, if you want to say, well, give me some metrics. How about the fact that Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, Waller, and Evan Ingram are his metrics of what they line up against with separation at the time of catch, separation at the time of target, elusiveness, receiving after, the, like all of it. That's where he lines up with those kind of names. So I don't understand how people just went bananas for Hawkinson way too far last year, and then all of a sudden just went, ah, screw it, forget it, I'm out, I'm out of here. Yeah, you know, I don't want to go back to Hurst for a second. I don't, uh, I don't have a lot to say about yeah. Hawkinson. I'm kind of back and forth on him, but – you know, it's interesting. The NFC, NFFC ADP data is, is one of the reasons I didn't have Hurst on my um, undervalued list because he's seven. The sharp money has him at seven, you know, and then like the the Joe Public has him down at 14. So it, it's it kind of tells you where the guys that are, you know, that are making a living and, or, you know, trying to or try to make a living are putting their money on mm -hmm. and, and Hurst uh, moves up dramatically in that scenario so uh i'm with you on on hayden hurst and hawkinson i just part of the problem there also is there is also a lot of mouths to feed in that offense if you look at the that group and you know if marvin jones and kenny galladay and, and deandre swift are all you know all out there all the time um you know it, it could be a little bit of a headwind but i i see the value you know i see the potential in him as well uh in kind of a you know in kind of a hayden hurst kind of way the guy that just will never leave the field because he can do it all i mean they threw 571 times with two crap quarterbacks for half a yeah. year <laughs> yeah they'll, they'll they'll probably throw it 600 plus times i'm sure you think that much i mean i still think that it's a team that w with what matt patricia wants to do offensively um and i know he's obviously you know comfortable handing the reins off but still with what he wants to do with what that team i think stylistically wants to do they're still gonna lean quite a bit on both Swift and Carryon Johnson running the ball. I do love that passing. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there as a discussion topic. I do. I, I'm invested in Kenny Galladay already in a big way. Matthew Stafford's one of my favorite QB targets. Very happy to get Hawkinson. I'm just saying, is it something we are concerned with at all that a healthy Swift Johnson combo could bring the volume down of that passing game more than we think, especially with the fact that. They're probably not going to be a, what, a three win team again this season. That's what they were. They were three, 12 and one last year, or did they win four games, whatever it was. They were a very bad, non competitive team. And I think they got to be better than that this year in more mm. games. I just worry a little bit about the passing volume. Not enough that I'm going away from these guys, but I do think it's something that should at least be in the back of our minds. Yeah, they might win more, but it's not, be, it's not going to be because of their defense. I know. So I was just going to say that's where, I'll go that's where I was going to go <laughs> as like well. 500 over 570 attempts the past two years. I just don't see that changing, even with Swift. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair for sure. Uh, let's hit on a few more guys here because I do want to get to some of our deep targets uh, to talk about. One guy who I keep coming back to uh, is Mike Gesicki. 
Um, I don't think we need to talk about him too much because we have talked about him a lot. It does sort of have this feeling like you have to be like a Siki guy or a Hawkinson guy. I'm happy to end up with either of them as my starting tight end. Um, I really do think that Mike Kosicki, though, is set to explode. And we talk so much about what the opt-outs at the wide receiver position in Miami have meant for Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, obviously assuming that he will be ready for week one. I think it means a lot for Kosicki as well. I think this is a guy who is easily going to outplay the ADP that has him down at tight end 13 right now. Well, I was the, I was the one that pushed against Brandon when we mentioned him a few weeks ago saying that like I, I didn't like the fact that he was one of the most efficient players in the NFL like he had his opportunity and did little with it however that was before Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns fell out so he's the mm-hmm. number three now but t- behind Parker and Williams and similar to what we talked about for the Rams I mean it's going to be three guys I mean Fitzpatrick and then whenever it's Tua it's going to be those three guys so I've come around, not so much the fact that I think much is going to change. Like, if Gasicki needs to take a step forward, that's a separate bucket all to itself. Yeah. But now I'm on the side where I'm coming back around because even if he doesn't, the volume is going to improve now because he's their number three, quote-unquote, wide receiver. Yeah, and there was some worry because Chan Gailey's always been, you know, favored as wide receivers, but when the talk came out that they're just going to run Gasicki as their, as their number three wideout, basically, um, yeah, it kind of just – it eased your mind about potential volume issues. And he's another guy, Gasicki, that's number 10 in NFFC ADP data and 13 in the Fantasy Pros um, data. So he's he's another guy that, uh, you know, the Sharps are on a little bit higher as well. As they should be, I would say. And again, that's a, that's a sneaky, fun offense, especially when Tua takes over, right? That's so quietly they've put together this offense that – you could see them ending up being one of the better teams in the league in the not-too-distant future. One of the more exciting fantasy offenses, maybe is the better way to say that, in the not-too-distant future. Not this year. Not saying it's going to happen in 2020, but once Tua's got control of that offense and you've got Devontae Parker and Preston Williams this year with Jordan Howard and Matt Burita, you got Mike Kosicki hopefully taking a step forward. There's some sneaky fun in that Miami offense, and I think it's a good one and an easy one to find some investment in this year. Let's move on to the next group of guys. We're just calling them deep targets. These are guys who are basically going outside the top 20 at their own position, outside the top you know, 150, 170 overall, anywhere in that range. And there's one that I just can't figure out. And Jake, you and I have talked about him. I know Brandon, I'm sure you've talked about him as well. What are we doing with Chris Herndon? Everyone was ready to put Chris Herndon in the tight end one class last year. Everything that happened to him, not his fault last season. I mean, I guess the suspension was, but injuries, everything that went wrong with the Jets offense. I mean, last year's just a lost year. Forget about last year. Why does he go from, he was probably what, like tight end 12 or so, tight end 15 by ADP last year. Then he has the lost season and now he's down in the mid twenties. What are we doing here? Stupidity. That's recency bias. It's <laughs> like, it's everything. It's like, like, Look at Baker Mayfield. He's the perfect example to keep going back to them. Like, I understand everybody's pissed off about what happened with Baker Mayfield last year, but now we're going to kick him outside the top 20 quarterbacks on some leagues. Like, he's going to go down like 18 for quarterback. Like, that's the thing is everybody gets burned. It's why it's why I write the article on our site that Brandon knows because he edits it is last year's trash. Like, you people get ticked off because they get burned by a player and then they never go back to him. And that's what you're seeing reflected is there was a heck of a lot of people on Herndon. There was a heck of a lot of people on Baker. There's a heck of a lot of people who just go back to that trash article that people don't want to touch again. Aaron Rodgers is one. Aaron Rodgers, two years ago, wasn't that much better than he was last year, but two years ago, it put him at QB7. Like, he can't bounce back just a little bit, and we see this in fantasy every single year, and that's all it is. That's all it is. People remember getting burned, 
and that's all they want to remember. Oh, and by the way, Sam Darnold is absolutely dominating his own team's defense. In, in oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I love that. I love this this preseason <laughs> hyperbolic, you know, reporting about things that that make no difference. But I, it's even better when we don't have preseason right, games. Right. Uh, back to to Herndon. I mean, Ryan Griffin was usable at you know last year without Herndon. So uh, there's something to say that you know you put a better player in that position, it's going to be more than usable. Uh, you got Denzel Mims, a guy that they were hoping. Open to lean on as a rookie. He's got uh, who's already injured and out for a little while. It sounds like uh, Brashad Perriman is coming in to help that receiving core. But he's you know there's no there's no muscle memory between him and Sam Darnold. So you look at the guys that Sam Darnold knows, and it's you know it's going to be Herndon and, and, and Jamison Crowder. And with no preseason, you know no no great preseason run up. I think that means something. You know that the guys that were there, the incumbents, um, will have an advantage. So you look at this Jets team; it's going to have to, you know, with no, no Jamal Adams, they're going to. It's going to be a bad defense. It just got worse. Um, you know, it's like the, like we were just talking about with the Lions. That defense is not going to help them. You know, be a conservative offense. So they're going to have to throw the ball, and I think Herndon uh, is going to see his fair share of those. The athletic profile is there. He's basically free and. Do we think there's any chance he's not number three on this team in targets behind Jamison Crowder and Le'Veon Bell at, at worst? I think that's fair. Yeah. Mm, I'd say four potentially, just just depending on what happens with Perriman. Right. I, 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 think he, I think he and Perriman will have similar target shares. Either way, it's a great spot to get in on a cheap tight end yeah. who could easily play his way into the tight end one class, high end tight end two, someone who I think is an easy sell at his draft day price. A lot of these guys are Brandon. Why do you make the sell for Will Disley? If we knew Will Disley was going to play 14 games, where do you think he ends up going? In, uh, in like Right now, if it's guaranteed, Will Disley's playing 14 games, what's his ADP at the tight end position? If we all knew that going in, I think it would be at least in the top, maybe 12, 11. Like I, no. I think it's close. I mean, I think it's close. <laughs> yes. I mean, look, Russell Wilson loves the guy. Um and I, I, I like to throw out the number that he's been a top eight fantasy tight end each of the last two years in fantasy points per game. <laughs> That's true because, you know, you look at his numbers in two of those games, he was basically injured early and out for the year. So you look at eight games he's played in his career, if you throw those games out, and he's basically, you know, you extrapolate that for a 16-game season, he's 6,800 yards and 12 touchdowns. Um, so, yes, Greg Olson being there is going to change things up, but, you know, you listen to all the beat writers that cover the Seattle, and they're all high on Disley and think that while Greg Olson's there, he's really kind of there. Uh, they will run two, you know, two tight end sets a decent amount, but he's also there to kind of like, uh, you know, give Will Disley some tutelage along the way. But Will Disley, they hope, is still their tight end of the future if he can actually play 14 games as Biller has, has thrown out there. That's a big deal. Yeah, Jake, let me uh, let me jump in here really quick. Uh, Brandon, you mentioned all the beat writers in Seattle loving him. One, our very own, Michael Sean Dugar. We had him on when we went through our Fantasy Football in 15 State of the Team series. And you know, those are 15-minute shows. I want to say he spent like 40% of the show talking about how great Will Disley is going to be if he can just be healthy. He could not say enough. And this is a guy who's covered the Seahawks for a few years now, and he could not say enough good things about Will Disley, the player, and what Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson think of Will Disley as well. Hey, look, I, I'm not disagreeing on what Disley is. I'm just, how many times have we done this with other teams? I mean, we just last year, if, if Bruce Arians would just realize O.J. Howard was the best thing at tight end, like, 
Cameron Brait ended up being the one in the passing game more often than not than O.J. Howard. I'm not saying Greg Olson deserves to play more than him, but I just don't see where the snaps are going to be there. And even if he is in there for tutelage, as long as Greg Olson's healthy, I don't see how it's any more than like 50-50 at the tight end. Not even I'm not even talking about 50% of the snap. I'm just talking about 50-50 share with Greg Olson. And that's my problem is I don't dislike Disley. Again, this is another one to go back to like the John o. Smith. I just hate the situation. If they never signed Greg Olson, I'd be all over Disley because I completely agree with you. I think Disley's a top 10 tight end. But I just the situation just ruins Can I just me. really quickly say I think that Seattle may end up being one of the leaders in 12 personnel because Russell Wilson has – you know, picking that seam and with those uh, tight ends down the middle is something that he loves to do. It's it's perfect with the skill set. And they don't really have a viable number three. If they bring in Josh Gordon, then I'll, I'll backtrack on what I'm saying here. But if it is what it is going into the season, I mean, it's Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and probably a lot of two tight end sets. Don't you poo-poo David oh, Moore. I, I've been poo-pooing <laughs> him for years, and I haven't been burned yet. So, <laughs> Yeah. All right, guys. Let's. Uh, there's two more tight ends I want to talk about before we wrap up the show. Right now, Will Disley is going as the tight end 24. This is composite ADP between Yahoo Fantrax and NFFC. We've got him as the tight end 24. One guy, in the guy who's directly in front of him in composite ADP, Greg Olson. I think a lot of that is name brand. And then the guy who is one after him is the guy taking over for Greg Olson in Carolina, Ian Thomas. We know the athletic profile. Jake, you've got him as an undervalued guy. What makes you so attracted to Ian Thomas this season? Just a skill set. That's where Greg Olson left. <laughs> he just left this team, and everybody – this is another one. Everybody wanted Ian Thomas to be the guy and wanted Ian Thomas to happen. I think this is a perfect example for what we're talking about with Will Disley. And to go back real quick, it would have to be a dramatic jump, Brandon, for the 12 because they only ran it 14% of the time last year. They were actually bottom six in the league for running well, 12. They, so they, kept, they never be, had two tight ends healthy at the same time. No, no, and they. I mean, but they had a lot of options. I'm just saying that's a big shift. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. And like they use it more. I'm just saying a big shift for me to want to buy into somebody who's going to be sharing in a 12. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, and I think this is a really good comparison of the Panthers last year is the fact that everybody wanted Ian Thomas, but Greg Olson was still there, and Greg Olson wasn't going away. Greg Olson had a mediocre season. But it stymied what Ian Thomas was able to do. And now he's free. And he's free. And for everybody loving, Teddy Bridgewater could throw the ball 600 times because they have no defense. And Joe Brady's going to help open these things up and all this type of stuff. And like, then why aren't people saying, Ian Thomas, if you love the offense and you love the team and you love the breakout potential for the quarterback, you just loved Ian Thomas last year. Why don't you love him this year? I'm not saying put him inside tight end one, but Ian Thomas is free right now. You don't even have to spend anything to get him. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Teddy's a Teddy's not a deep ball thrower. And that's why I, I've been kind of like on the DJ Moore thing. I'm like, yeah, he can catch a lot of passes, but they're going to be a lot of short intermediate passes. And, you know, I, I think Teddy Bridgewater's skill set fits an Ian Thomas, you know, very well. Fits a tight end uh, seeing a lot of volume very well. So that's uh, that's another thing I could see, you know, as far as upside for Ian Thomas. It is an interesting offense, and uh, with uh, how bad we're expecting that defense to be, it does feel like the sort of one where you can get some investment. Obviously, you need the number one overall pick in your draft to get Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore high-priced as well, but then uh, Ian Thomas, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, Ian Thomas, there are inventive ways to find, to invest in what could be an offense that has to run a whole lot of plays uh, because of the way that defense is expected to play this season. One more guy who I want to talk about before 
before we wrap things up here. He is the deepest tight end on our board, at least the deepest that we're going to talk about. Tight end 30 by ADP. It is Jay Sternberger. Obviously, we have wanted a number of tight ends in Green Bay to break through. through. Still feels like we're waiting for that uh, Jermichael Finley season to happen. Uh, Jay Sternberger, however, is just the latest guy to maybe get the apple or become the apple of Aaron Rodgers' eye at the tight end position. Jake, this is your guy. Make the Sternberger case. It's not a huge case even for him. It's just the fact of if you're throwing darts this deep, uh, why not? Because this team has continually ignored the tight or the wide receiver position. We joked about it during the draft. We joked about it in free agency. Uh, Devin Funches was the pickup, and now he's hurt. and out, Or not, now he's sitting out this season. Uh, so, you know, it's Alan Lazard as the number two. We all assume that. Well, Aaron Rodgers is still going to throw for over 4,000 yards. It doesn't matter. What's that wide receiver? He's going to throw it. So if you say you don't like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you don't like any of the other pieces left on this team, and Geronimo Allison's in Detroit now, why not Sternberger? Like Jimmy Graham last year, as poor as he looked, just watching Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Graham was like running a molasses, and you get to enjoy that now. Uh, for you, Beller. Uh, 60, <laughs> yes. 60 targets over 60 games. That's not a ton but, you know, you tell me Jimmy Graham with how he looked last year it was 60. You can push. Let's say we push Sternberger to 70. He could have what Noah Fant did last year, 550 yards, three or four touchdowns. Not super exciting, but you're talking about a high-end tight end, too, which, you know, if you're going to wait and throw the dice, you might as well throw it on Sternberger versus a lot of other names that are even in front of him. Like, I would absolutely do it over Uzma, Dawson Knox, not, I mean, mm-hmm. Buffalo Bills. Uh, and then we talked about the fact of like Greg Olson. Like I would take the shot on Will Disley before I did Greg Olson, and I would do it definitely with Sternberger over Olson or OJ Howard behind Gronk. So it's just there's a lot of names sure. in front of him. Like why are you taking a flyer on them and not Sternberger? Yeah, I mean just the opportunity. I, I agree. I mean you got the the quarterback with maybe the greatest arm talent in NFL history throwing the ball, and you got really it's Devontae Adams and you know depending on how much you believe in Alan Lazard. And I kind of do believe he'll be the solid number two guy there, but um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out on the, on the hyphen receivers being, <laughs> being impact guys. It's, to me, it's, you can easily see Jay Sternberger being the number three option in this passing offense. And as Jake says, you got to count on over 4,000. Number four with Aaron Jones. Oh well, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe there you go. But um, just a big opportunity. An athletic guy they drafted in the third round, you know, uh, couple years ago and it's you know he's getting his opportunity and this this tight end group in in green bay had almost 100 targets last year overall and mercedes lewis is your number two that guy is is old so it's really the jay sternberg (laughs) opportunity uh that you know he couldn't ask for more yeah, let's wrap this up by capping it with what Jake said. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for 4,000 yards. Maybe that caught you. Maybe you stopped and thought about that for a second. You're remembering last season. Last year, one of his least efficient seasons uh, as a passer, one of his least volume seasons, uh, throwing the ball and still with the 569 attempts at just seven yards per attempt, gave you 4,002 yards. So definitely you got to assume a floor of 4,000 yards for Aaron Rodgers. Someone's going to have to catch those passes. And Devontae Adams, as much as he might try, probably not going to have like 200 catches for 2,500 yards this season. So Jay Sternberger, I also agree, makes sense as a late-round dart throw at the tight end position. 
And that will do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show. That would be great. We would absolutely love it. And you can still get 40% off a first-year subscription to The Athletic if you go to theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod. Uh, Jake and Brandon and I will be back with you on the Wednesday edition of this show. The show as a whole will be back with you tomorrow. That will be Nando DeFino and Emery Hunt. Until we get to talk to you on Wednesday, thank you for listening and have a great day. We'll